As I told you guys, um, we're starting a new series tonight called Paths. Say it with me. Paths. Okay? I just think it's fun to say. I may be weird, but I don't care. Um, paths. Okay? So, um, I don't know about you guys. Okay, listen up. So, I don't know about you guys, um, but when I think of a path... I think of like a dirt road in a forest. I don't know why, but I do. Like I picture like a bunch of green trees and like a tan or brown like walkway made of dirt, right? In the middle of it. That whenever I think path, that's what I think. And, and sometimes when we think of paths, um, it's, it's a road or a walkway that wasn't even designed. It was just created by people repeatedly using it, right? We've all seen what it looks like. When, um, when, when people just continually walk through the same area of grass and it starts to get like patchy and turns into dirt. Like that's what I think of when I think of a path. It's just something that's constantly traveled and constantly used and that people just follow, right? They follow this path. Um, when I think of paths and I think of that, what I think of is something that, that um, was important to me as a, as a kid growing up. I, I grew up in central Oklahoma. We've clearly established that. Um, but... My grandparents grew up, or my parents' grandparents grew up. My grandparents lived a little bit south of Oklahoma City in a little town called Washington, Oklahoma. And they had a bunch of land and they had two ponds on it. And I loved, uh, as a kid, to go fishing on the pond. And my grandpa would always take his truck and drive it through the pasture. And we took the same route every time because you could see where the tire tracks were, right? Because we drove it so many times that you could see the path. Right. And, and, and then even when we got to the pond, we always fish like in the same spot. And so we would walk, we'd park in the same spot and we'd walk from the truck down. And so you could like literally see the way that we did things by just looking at the paths. Right. And, and so when I started to think about this idea of paths, we, we see um, the way that we live our lives and the way that we do things creates a path. Right. And ultimately, like I'm just going to give you guys like spoiler alert right here at the end of this, like all of our paths and the way that we live our lives should ultimately lead to Jesus. Right. We should be able to lead people to Jesus just by the way we live our life. Right. The path that we leave behind should be something that leads people to Jesus. <clears throat> However, sadly, a lot of times when it comes to paths, we are a path follower Instead of a path creator. And we talked about this a little bit in our last series on identity. Where we talked about um, we tend to follow the lead of other people or society. You know, things that other people do, the things that other people say um, become part of who we are. Like if you had friends and they always like use the same phrase, uh, it might become part of your vocabulary. Like apparently me saying, put the sass back in the box. Apparently that's going to be a thing now. But like it's just we learn... We learn phrases, we learn weight, like, uh, what's it called? Fashion. We learn uh, behaviors, we learn like uh, ways that we act um, from other people. And th that's really, really discouraging because the way that I look at this, we should be path creators, not path followers. And, and when I think about this, I think about a poem. This is going to like blow some of your minds, just, I, but this is 100% true. Whenever I was in sixth grade, 
which if you do the math, that was years 2001 and 2002, okay? I was in sixth grade. Yeah, I know. I'm ancient. Whatever. But 2001, 2002, I was in sixth grade. And my teacher, he had us memorize a poem by Robert Frost. Um, Okay. Uh, No, no. It was uh, called, like, The Road Less Traveled or something like that. Okay? Yeah, so some of you guys know this. And, and honestly, this is good. Like, like I said, this is going to blow your minds. This is just kind of the way my mind works. I still have that poem memorized today. Like even today, I was sitting in my office. No, I'm not going to say it. I may do it later. But I'm not going to do it right now. But I was sitting in my office earlier and I was like, do I still have this memorized? And I recited the whole thing. I had to look up the beginning of one stanza just to like trigger my brain. But I had the whole thing still memorized from sixth grade. We're talking, what is 2020? So that was 19, 18 or 19 years ago. I still have this memorized. And I think it was because it was something that made an impression on me. And basically the gist of this poem is it talks about taking the road less traveled, right? He comes to a a fork in the road and he's looking at a path that's worn and a path that is not worn. And he chooses to take the more challenging, unworn path because it, it led to more, right? And so it's this idea of that we need to... Take the path less traveled. And the last line is, um, I took the road that was less traveled and that made all the difference. Right? That's the end of the poem. And whenever I look at our lives, the fact that we, we can choose to take this path less traveled, this challenging path that comes with being a follower of Christ, that we should relish that opportunity. We should be pleasured in taking the path that is less traveled. And so for the next four weeks... We're going to be looking at the paths of faith. And I'm going to say the four paths that we take in our Christian life. And, and, I, and I changed it because if you remember, I first said the four paths we should take. Now, the one we're going to talk about today, we shouldn't take, but it's one we all do take. Um, and we're going to get into that in just a second. So like I said, we're going to be in the book of Judges tonight. And we're going to be looking at this first path. And it's a path of destruction. Okay? And that sounds really evil and bad, which it is. But hear me out when we talk about living a life that leads to a path of destruction. I don't know about you guys. I know you guys had a tornado here like in the fall that came like in the middle of the night. I, I read about it on the news. I wasn't here yet. But if you, if you guys don't know, and I think Arkansas is a little bit like this too. Oklahoma is like known for tornadoes. Um, and if you've, read, if you've heard anything about May 3rd, 1999 was the highest wind speeds ever recorded on planet Earth. And that was in Moore, Oklahoma, which is like 10 miles from where I grew up. And then May 20th, it was like 2012 or something like that. May, tw- May 20th, they had another of the world's largest tornadoes that hit a school in Moore and killed some kids. You guys may have remembered that. That was just a few years ago. But that was at the exact same place in Moore again, right where I grew up. And so... <clears throat> when, when I hear path of destruction, it's usually, I, I picture, because this is what they always talk about, the, the path that a tornado leaves, right? And if you've ever seen a major tornado, or, or I wish I would have pulled up a picture, but, but a massive tornado, yeah, an E5, E6 uh, tornado, it just like literally leaves behind like flat land. It just takes like houses off of the foundation and leaves nothing but just flat land. And, and, and I'm telling you guys because I've lived it, I've driven through it right afterwards. It is truly one of the most like terrifying and, and like, like uh, 
amazing, but in a bad way, right? Like to see it and to realize the power of what just happened there. But, but to, when you hear about this path of destruction, I just picture carnage just left behind after a certain event happens. And, and you know, whenever I think about a path of destruction in our own lives, um, you know, that's not something that's self-generated. It's not something that we create on our own. Uh, destruction and, and, and even our destruction of ourselves and our destruction of others does not just manifest out of nowhere. It comes from a, a re- very real and ultimately a very scary place and is this place of temptation. Okay, So if, if you caught in the video, it was talking about living this path following Jesus through temptation. And, and so tonight we're looking at uh, this idea of temptation and facing temptation and how this relates to us as a Christian. So we're going to be in, in chapters 13 through 16 of Judges. And it's the story of an Israelite under a, a Nazarite oath, which we'll get into that in a second. But his name was Samson. And some of you may have heard the story of Samson before. I'm hoping some of you have. Um, they've done uh, like the Sight and Sound Theater, I think, like at a Branson or whatever, did like a Samson thing. Like Samson's a pretty popular story for being in the book of Judges, which is not a very commonly talked about book. But we're going to look at the story of Samson tonight. If you don't know what the story is, buckle in because it's a good story. And it really shows us a lot about how God can use us <clears throat> despite us leading ourselves down a path of destruction. So a little setup for the story here. So the Israelites, known as God's people, right? They were God's chosen people. They were, they were living in the wilderness for 40 years, right? As they're wandering after they had fled Egypt. And they finally get settled in to the, the land that God had promised them. And they continued to do bad things against God. And God had to continually punish them, which was ultimately why they were in the desert for 40 years in the first place. And so right before this story, the Israelites have done something um, that God was punishing them for. And so he had them fall under the rule of the Philistines. If you don't know the Philistines, it's David Goliath. Goliath was a, was a Philistine. Okay, This was not a, related to that story, but same group of people. Okay, So the Philistines were had taken over. They were in charge of the Israelites at this time. <clears throat> and the Israelites were desperate for God to free them from this oppression. And so God comes to a couple people, a couple Israelites who were unable to have children. And he says, you know what? You're going to be blessed with a son, a boy that you are going to, you are going to commit to being a Nazarite. And he will ultimately deliver God's people from the Philistine rule. Right. That, that was what was promised to these two people. And, and, and so if you know anything about trying to like people who want to have kids and can't have kids, like if they are blessed with a child, they want to do everything right. You know, and so they want to do they want to be the best parents they can because they, they feel like that they have to be because they weren't they, they had trouble maybe becoming parents in the first place. And so that's why I think why God chose them is because they knew that they would that they would keep him committed to this idea of being a Nazarite. So we're going to talk about what a Nazarite is now because it's, it's super important to understand this as it relates to the story. So you don't have to turn there. You can take my word. You can just write it down, look it up later. But it's in number six, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible. N- number six, it gives the commands, the oath that the Nazarites had to take. 
And, and basically, a Nazarite is a man or a woman who makes a special vow to God. Basically, a special commitment to be separated from the world and committed to God. And we talked about it uh, in Sunday school a couple weeks ago that this idea of being separated, um, set apart, is what the word holy means, right? And so, this is basically a commitment to be holy. In the eyes of God. And this was a very serious and very special vow that people would take. And it came with a lot of specific and very strict instructions. And, and really, they all boiled down to three things. <clears throat> and, and these are kind of weird. And if you're in numbers, you can read and see what it says. But the first one is, don't mess with grapes. Okay, again, sounds weird, crazy, but it was just one of the things. They couldn't drink wine, they couldn't drink grape juice, they couldn't eat grapes, they couldn't eat raisins, okay? Because if you don't know, raisins are dried grapes, okay? But they could not do anything associated with grapes. Don't know why, just was the rule. So that was one. Two, they didn't cut their hair. They weren't allowed to cut their hair or trim their beards, okay? So these were very hairy individuals, Okay, so that was, the first one was they couldn't mess with grapes, and two, they couldn't cut their hair. And the third thing was they couldn't have anything to do with dead bodies. Okay, again, weird rules. I didn't make them. Okay, but they couldn't have anything to do with dead bodies, and this included their own family members. So if their family member died, they couldn't even be in the home or be associated with the, the, what their version of a funeral would have been. They had to remove themselves from anything associated with death and a dead body because it made them ritualistically unclean. <clears throat> so there's two ways you can become a Nazarite. Okay? The first one would what is you could choose to do this. Okay? So if you were your age, older, whatever, and you were like, I want to make a special vow, commitment to God, I'm going to be a Nazarite, you could make that call. Okay? And you would then fall under these categories. Or your parents could commit you to being a Nazarite at birth. So that would mean from the time you are born, you are not allowed to eat or associate with grapes. Again, sounds weird. Cut your hair or be around dead things. Okay? So we have Samson here, who God instructs his parents to be a Nazarite at birth. Okay, so he is committed from birth to be a Nazarite. He was created and selected by God to free his people from the Philistines. So this sounds like a great deal and ultimately like a big responsibility, but for a great guy, right? So where does this temptation and destruction really start to set in? <clears throat> so before we look at really where temptation comes in, we need to first understand where temptation comes from. Temptation comes from the tempter. The Bible will call him the tempter, the evil one, the enemy. Ultimately, it's what we refer to as Satan or the devil. Okay, The tempter. And Satan's number one target, number one target is God's anointed. Okay, People who are set apart by God to do special things. Just like Samson. Okay, so he would be Satan's number one target. And so we knew Samson should have known from the beginning that as, a, as an appointed person of God, that, that there was going to be a target on his back, that the tempter was going to send temptation his way uh, to try to throw him off. And here's the thing about the tempter. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're tempted by. And he allows those things to come in contact with you or be <coughs> or surround you so that you are tempted 
to turn from this path that God has got you on, this path that is, that is not often traveled, and tries to put you back on the path that everyone else has gone on. <coughs> we see this happen in our lives. We saw it happen. If you, if you read the New Testament, we see it happen to Jesus when, he, when he's tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness. And ultimately, we see it happen here to Samson in Judges. We see Samson attacked at his three most vulnerable points. The three things that he has never been able to do in his entire life. And we see Satan attack him in these same three areas. And we're going to look at these right now. Chapter 14, verses 1 and 3 says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't it, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go out and get a Philistine for your wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She is the right one for me. Okay. Obviously, this was not 2020 uh, when this was created. Like, we don't just go around going, Mom, Dad, get her as my wife. Okay, like that is not how things work now. And we also don't marry within our relatives, as it said, which is, but that was just the way things were done. Okay, listen to me. That was what the, that was what the Israelite people did. They were God's chosen people and they needed to stay God's chosen people and they couldn't let an outsider come in. And so they were, they were supposed to be called to marry Israelites, okay, which technically were Far distant relatives from each other. Okay, they all came from the original twelve brothers, um, and so that's what that meant there by relatives was distant relatives within Israel. Okay, so we see the first temptation pop its head up here, and and at first you may be looking at this, and it doesn't seem like an attack on his weaknesses. The three weaknesses that were the three things that that a that a Nazarite couldn't do, um, but we'll see how this unfolds. He sees this woman right. And one, she's a Philistine, which is not great for him. But two, we can also understand that maybe this is God's plan. Like if he's supposed to deliver the people, people of Israel from, uh, from the hands of the Philistines, maybe he needs to get inside uh, the, the Philistine camp first, right? Like and to get to, to have a way into them. And it actually says in the next verse that this was God's plan, that this was God's way to infiltrate the Philistines. But see, there's an issue here that we didn't hit yet. <clears throat> and, he, and he persists and gets his way and his parents say, okay, you can marry this woman. And so in verses 5 and 6, he goes to get her and we see where the problem comes in. It says, Samson went down to Timnah uh, together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the line apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Okay, so a couple things we need to look at here. We now see why this girl, uh, Delilah is her name, is, this Philistine woman is a temptation to Samson. It's because she lives in this place called Timnah that we keep saying. And when we say here, it walks through the vineyards of Timnah. Okay, so Timnah was obviously a place where a lot of, what grows in a vineyard? Grapes, Grapes were grown. Okay, coincidence? I think not. Okay, 
because Samson was not allowed to go around grapes, which again, sounds dumb, but was just the rule, okay? And so we see here <coughs> him walking through a vineyard. And we have to ask ourselves, why would someone who has sworn an oath, essentially, or a vow to avoid grapes in any capacity walking through a vineyard? And the answer is temptation. The temptation of Delilah. The temptation of maybe just wanting to see what it's like to walk through a vineyard? I don't know, but you've got to realize if there's something that has been told your whole life you can't do, you want nothing more than to do it, right? To experience what it's like. And so we can understand that Samson was tempted to go through these vineyards and to go to Delilah. And, and, and so we, we try to find... What he's doing here is he's trying to ultimately find this line that can go as far as he can, but still being God's chosen one, right? Like I'm not partaking of the grapes or the grape juice or anything, but I'm just walking through them, right? What's so bad about that? And I think we all do this in our own lives, right? We try to find the furthest line we can walk to with that while still being a good Christian, right? We'll say, can I do this? Okay, well, if I can do that, can I do this? Okay, if I can do this, can I do this? And we find, we push until we find this line that is ultimately as far as we can go. What we ask ourselves <laughs> is we ask ourselves, how close can we get to the world? When in reality, what we should be asking ourselves is how close can we get ourselves to God? Samson was led by his temptation of this woman straight into his temptation of grapes, which sounds really weird, but it's true. Now, it should come as no shock that a lion is what approached him. And if you know anything about vineyards, there's not usually lions stalking around vineyards. Okay, So why should we not be surprised that a lion is what confronts him in the vineyard? Well, 1 Peter 5.8 says, your, excuse me, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Literally in this moment, I imagine that the, the physical embodiment of Satan attacks Samson in the vineyard. Like that's what I'm picturing in my mind. But, but we know that God can and will always overcome Satan. And that's why it says that the spirit of the Lord descended onto Samson and he had God's power with him and he defeated the lion. Verses, uh, so we, we look here at this, we'll, we'll get into verse eight and nine in a second. But we look here at this and we know that when we are going through temptation, that is when we are our most vulnerable and Satan tries to attack us, right? That's exactly what happened here. <clears throat> so we see his first temptation is through the vineyard in Delilah. Verses eight and nine says, sometime later, <clears throat> When he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. Okay? Hashtag nasty, right? And, and I'm a picky eater, but you know, and I love honey, but you know I'm not going to eat honey out of a dead lion. Okay? Like, that's straight up not happening. Okay? Yeah. That's the best honey, right? But see, now we've seen not only these grapes, this temptation of grapes come to play. And obviously, if he's where the lion died, he's in the vineyard again, right? He didn't learn his lesson. 
But he's in there again. But now we get the temptation of death, right? That was one of the things was he was to avoid death. And we see this temptation of wanting to, to take this sweet honey uh, that, that comes out of the dead lion. Again, this story sounds really confusing. It's all in here and it's all true, guys. But he wants this honey. He's, he's, he's tempted by this honey that's in this, that's in this lion that is death. And I think it's interesting that it's the lion again that comes into play. Because again, the lion is the tempter, right? And just because you kill a physical lion does not mean that you kill Satan. Satan is still at play and Satan can still use those things to tempt you. So again, we see Samson tempted by the lion and, and we see him tempted by, <coughs> by this, this dead body. And, you know, it, it's crazy because we can sit here and we can think that him walking through grapes or him eating a little bit of honey um, from near a dead lion um, is really not that big of a deal. And it's not a, it's not a huge issue. <laughs> But ultimately, if we have sin in our hearts and we, and we realize that we are doing wrong, it's ultimately, and, and at any time, no matter how in, in control you think of you are of your temptation and your sin, your heart will eventually accelerate this corruption and it will make its way to the surface. It's only a matter of time. So we see here again, he's been tempted by the grapes and the lion confronts him. He's been tempted by the lion in the death. And finally, we see this all come to the point of his destruction, right? This was the path to destruction in chapter 16. If you read chapter 16, I'm going to kind of summarize it for you. He does marry Delilah. And what we find out is that Delilah is actually working because Samson has been wreaking havoc on the Philistines. He's been killing them all like crazy. And she is put in charge like she is told by the Philistines, figure out what we can do to take his power away, take his strength away. And so she asks him, honey, if you love me, you'll tell me what can stop you. And at first he says, if you take bowstrings that have not been dried and bind them up, bind me up with them. It'll take away my power. And so she does that in his sleep. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he rips through them like nothing and goes out and kills a bunch of them. And she goes, Samson, you lied to me. You didn't tell me the truth. What really takes away your power? And he says, well, if it's, it, it wasn't bowstrings, it's new rope. Again, she binds them up, says the Philistines are coming. He breaks free. Okay, so we see this happen again. And then a third time she says, you're really not telling me the truth. You must not love me. Tell me what your power is. And he says, if you pin up my hair in, in like a bun, I don't know. If you pin up my hair, it will take away my power. And so she does that in his sleep. It says the Philistines are coming and he breaks out and he destroys a bunch of them again. And so she's really upset with him. And she's basically like, I'm going to leave you because you're lying to me if you don't tell me the truth. And I think it's interesting because his power truly did come from his hair. Remember, that's the third thing we haven't talked about is no cutting of the hair. And, and we, see these, we see these things he tells her progressively getting closer to the truth, right? It was wet bowstrings and then it was new ropes and then it became part of the hair, but not the truth about the hair. And ultimately it comes to a point where he tells her the truth. He tells her, if you cut my hair, <coughs> I will lose all my power. And <coughs> we see here in verse 20, 
of chapter 16. After she cuts his hair, she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And we saw in the first temptation where the Lord, the the power of God came to him. He did not realize that the power of the Lord had left him in this moment. And we, we understand, don't get me wrong here. We understand that we are protected under salvation, that God can never truly leave us in the sense of being protected under our salvation. However, his power, the power of God and the things that he uses in us to do his work, that can be taken from us in the same way it was taken from Samson. And I'm going to ask you guys this tonight. And we're going to wrap up with this. Is your life being desensitized by sin to the point that you are in danger of God's power leaving you? Do you not realize that these small temptations in your life, the things that you don't think matter, like walking through some grapes or eating some honey or cutting your hair, these things that really didn't seem like a big deal to Samson, but he was desensitized to how wrong these things were given his commitment that he, he allowed God's power to be taken from him. And again, guys, this is not a loss of salvation, but, but hopefully if, if God's power is removed from you, it's only temporarily. But, but what this means is a loss of your usefulness to God, which is a very scary thing and a very serious thing. And I hope you understand that. That leading a life of sin and, and evil is grounds for your, useless, your usefulness to God to be taken away. And I hope and pray tonight that, that you are not where Samson was at in this point. The point of utter and complete destruction. To the point to where the power of God has left you and, and, and has led you into captivity. Where the Philistines took him and made him their prisoner. If you are tonight... If there are things in your life that are tempting you, pulling you away from God, guys, now is the time to confront them. Now is the time to address them, not wait until it gets too severe, not wait until it's gone too far. It's the time to deal with those issues before it accelerates in your life and ultimately leads you down further down this path of destruction. Guys, next week we're going to talk about the path to redemption. And we're going to look at the end of this story of Samson and ultimately how this works out in God's favor. <clears throat> but I just, I ask you tonight, if you are finding yourself headed down this, this path of temptation, this path of destruction, address those issues in your life tonight before it accelerates and becomes a bigger issue. I'm going to pray for you guys and we'll get out of here. God, thank you so much uh, for your love. Thank you so much for your power that you send to us. God, that you empower us to do your work. And I pray that you would just cause temptation to flee from us. God, that you would keep the tempter away from us, that he would not be able to penetrate us. And, and when ultimately we know that he will, and when he does, that, that you would just give us the strength to fight back and to turn from those temptations and not lead ourselves down a path of destruction. God, I pray that you would just protect us with your power, protect our hearts, protect our minds. God, protect our actions. 
that, that you would just help us to be people who live for you in everything we do, God. God, we praise you. We love you. And I pray that you would just be with these students as they go back into their, their mission fields and their schools, that they would just be a beacon of light to everyone that comes in contact with them, that the, the path of their life would ultimately lead others to you, God. Pray all this in your name.